Today is Wednesday, September 29th, 2021, and here are three things you need to know to be smart today. Starting off with your shot of good news, Governor Ron DeSantis has sued Joe Biden over the border crisis. Ron DeSantis using all of the force of the executive office here in Florida to sign executive orders prohibiting the release of migrants in this state and hunting down businesses who employ them. This is a bombshell against the Biden administration, and they are running scared. Running scared on Capitol Hill were Pentagon leaders who were getting grilled by the human predator drones in the GOP. Some senators absolutely roasting Mark Miley and Lloyd Austin, corrupt leaders of our establishment military elite, and they are embarrassing us on Capitol Hill. We have all of the clips for you there as Democrats' legislative agenda collapses in Congress. Pelosi is snapping on reporters, and she finally, in a moment of absolute exhaustion, says the truth about who is pulling the strings in Joe Biden's White House. It won't shock you guys. My name is Benny Johnson, and this is The Benny Show. My fellow Americans, we live in troubled times. Look around you. Authoritarianism is on the march. These people are wanting to collapse our economy to crush our dollar. You're seeing the inflating prices all around you. You're seeing the destabilization of our nation. The border is open, and so is the federal budget. They want to spend trillions more. Why? Well, because they want control. They want to control you, and part of how they get control over you is to control your information, your narratives, your truth, your facts, your stories. It is much easier to control people who don't question authorities and who can be subverted. That's why we are here to tell the truth, and with that, let's get into our first story. This show fights, and so does Ron DeSantis. Let's go. All right, our first story for you today is Ron DeSantis dropping the sledgehammer on the Biden administration for their lawlessness on the border. Republicans take note. Governors take note. This is how you do it. This is how you fight back. This is a party that wishes for fighters right now more than ever. We want someone to protect our country. And Ron DeSantis is doing an amazing job in the state of Florida. Let's read. DeSantis opens new fight with Biden over immigration. Published in Politico this morning. Tallahassee. Governor Ron DeSantis on Tuesday escalated his fight with the Biden administration over immigration, directing Florida agencies to stop assisting federal authorities in relocating migrants. The Republican governor also called on state law enforcement officials to audit large private companies to ensure their workers are legally permitted to work in the U.S. and encouraged Florida authorities to detain buses, planes, cars reasonably reasonably believed to be transporting someone who entered the country illegally from the southern border. DeSantis's actions were paired with a new lawsuit filed by Attorney General Ashley Moody against Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alexandria Mayorkas, as well as other Biden administration officials, contend that federal authorities are flouting immigration laws and that Florida is harmed when detained migrants are released and told to appear in immigration proceedings at a later date, a policy that critics call catch and release. Here is what Ron DeSantis sounded like when he was announcing this lawsuit. Over its unlawful and destructive catch and release policy. Uh, 
thanks to Attorney General for leading that effort, and she'll have more to say about that when she remake, uh, makes her remarks. Second, I'm signing an executive order to prohibit state agencies that report, or to, excuse me, to prohibit state agencies that report to me from aiding or abetting in any way what the federal government uh, is doing right now. Uh, we're not going to be a party uh, to this lawlessness. We haven't, to, to, to my knowledge, uh, but we're letting the marker down know that this is an absolute red line. A real leader sounds like. He said, this is absolutely a crisis. We are the ones who are affected by this, and we have to fight back. That's correct. Illegal immigration has a massive cost, a massive cost on your population, on your welfare systems. It has a massive cost on your education systems. It has a massive cost to your tax base because much of the money that is made through illegal immigrant labor, criminal migrant labor gets sent directly back to Mexico and the third world. It doesn't get taxed. It gets laundered. It goes either to cartels or in remittances back to Mexico. A study by the New York Times said that Mexico's number one economic driver was remittances from illegal work in America. That's right. Illegals working in this country sending tax-free dollars back to Mexico. That is the number one economic driver in the Mexican economy. It's unsustainable. It's unsustainable. And Ron DeSantis is finally putting his foot down again. Republicans take note. This is precisely how you solve problems like this. Moody, who, like DeSantis, is running for re-election next year, also ripped into Biden at Tuesday's press conference saying that Biden is aiding and abetting criminal cartels due to his administration's immigration policies. DeSantis contended that Biden, the Biden administration's policies were intentional and ideological designed to reverse actions by former President Trump. So two things there. Aiding and abetting criminal cartels. This show was on the border two weeks ago. We broadcast our fifth podcast from the border. We stood in the middle of the border wall, the end of the wall, where... They were not allowed to build. The Trump administration was not allowed to continue the wall. It was native lands, and uh, they were working on uh, an agreement to continue the wall on those lands. Well, uh, Donald Trump didn't get a chance to do that, and you were able to see in stark relief the desert laid bare, open completely, wide open. There was like a small cattle gate that stopped people from entering illegally from Mexico into the United States. While we were recording our podcast, we saw dozens of illegal criminal migrants pass into our country and break our laws. What did our guide tell us? We had a guide there. His name was Johnny Yuma, and he is a county supervisor in Yuma, Arizona. He knows much about this area. He was born there and has lived there his entire life. Seventh generation Yuma, Arizonan. So what do we have in the control of the Mexican side of the border? Here's what we learned that the cartels control entirely the U.S.-Mexico border on the Mexican side. The cartels control who goes, who enters, and who does not. It's not us. It's not America. We don't control the border as to who enters. The cartels do. The cartels charge up to $7,000 a person for crossing, for passage, and hundreds of thousands of people have crossed. Millions of people have crossed this year. That's billions of dollars for the cartels, and the cartels don't end there. They use sex trafficking, child trafficking, human trafficking in order to pay themselves and to continue the money flowing 
directly into their pockets. What this is is modern-day slavery. You see, slavery, by definition, is the control of a human being. The human being being the object that is traded. When the cartels are trafficking in humans, children, women, well, that is slavery in the modern-day sense. It happens Currently in the Middle East, it happens in Africa, and it happens here on our southern border. The only reason it happens is because our borders are open. The cartels are the only gate key to America. Think about that. Not a wall, not our own federal agents, just the cartels. They control the border, and they control who enters and who exits. They control who comes to this country. Not you, the American people. Not our politicians. Not our laws are laws which state definitively that a non-national crossing into a sovereign American territory is a felon. The 1965 Immigration Act states in black and white, any non-national that crosses into American territory and does not immediately surrender themselves for deportation is, by law, a felon. And by the way, this isn't like a vaccine mandate or some type of executive order. Those aren't laws. Those are orders. These executive fiats, they are have an entirely different foundation legally. I'm talking a law that was passed by the House, then went through markup in the Senate, then was passed by the Senate, then was repassed by the House, then was sent off to the president's desk, and the president signed it, and it stood judicial review. And the judicial said, good on you, this is constitutional, that's a law. That's called a law. That is how in a sane country we deliver rulings to people through the legislative process. That's been utterly abandoned in our modern era by both sides, and both sides are guilty of not wishing to rule that way, not wishing to govern that way. They wish to rule by fiat. But yes, the laws on the books say it's illegal. That's why we say criminal migrant on the show, because they are, in fact, felons by American law. So what happens? Well, We've utterly abandoned the enforcement of those laws. We've abandoned our law enforcement entirely. We've criminalized law enforcement. They are now investigating the brave Border Patrol agents who tried to stop human trafficking and a human invasion of our southern border through the Haitian migrant train. And now the cartels control the border. So when the Attorney General of Florida says that this is an act that is attempting to stop the cartels and their evil, that Joe Biden is aiding and abetting criminal cartels. Well, she's 100% right. She, her name is Ashley Moody, uh, is, is essentially saying what you're doing is encouraging modern-day slave trade. And Florida's not going to have any part of it, and it's a wonderful thing to see. They're finally pushing back. Thank God for Florida. DeSantis is seen as a presidential candidate in 2024 and has pushed a hard line on immigration policies in the past, including advocating for a ban on so-called sanctuary cities. Brilliant idea, by the way, also lawless, as well as somewhat watered down requirement that companies screen employees through a federal immigration database. Both DeSantis and Moody visited the Texas border this summer at the same time that Florida sent 250 law enforcement agents to help local authorities deal with the surge of migrants crossing the United States. Very few states are dealing with the Biden border crisis, catastrophe, slave 
trade smuggling operation better than the state of Florida. Florida Republicans were once cautious about immigration, worried that it would cost them support among Hispanic voters in the state. But Trump carried the state in 2016, even though he espoused hardline immigration policies, and his stances were echoed two years later on the campaign trail by DeSantis, who now is our governor. The issue continues to resonate strongly with GOP voters, who DeSantis will depend on for his re-election next year, and any Republican primaries beyond. Well, let me tell you, as a Florida resident, recent Florida resident, as a Tampa resident, Tampa, a city that has a large Hispanic population, a large population of Venezuelans and Cubans live in Tampa. Tampa has an entire section of the city called Ybor City, which is a uh, historically Cuban neighborhood. It is now currently a Cuban majority neighborhood. Great cigars, great coffees, great breweries in Ybor City. It's a wonderful place to visit. It is a historic place, and it is a place that hates authoritarianism. They hate communism. My first day in Florida, we moved into our house, and my wife said, you're not going to believe this, but there is a parade going down our street, an anti-communism parade. Imagine moving from Washington, D.C., where the parades are in favor of communists, and Antifa marches without being touched by the police with communist and Soviet flags down your street and you are harassed in public for being a conservative. Uh, I watched my friend Jack Persobic get brutally assaulted, chased down and beat by Antifa. Um, nothing you could do about it. The cops could barely protect anyone. I mean, it's awful. I have also watched criminal Antifa and communist elements uh, attack Senator Rand Paul after the GOP speech at the GOP convention, uh, Donald Trump's speech at the GOP convention, it is anarchy. So it's streets controlled by communists. You move down to Florida, to from Washington, D.C. to Florida, and the streets are controlled by anti-communists, people chanting F. Castro, Cubans, Hispanics, marching through the streets in order to decry communism. It really is two different worlds. There really are two different Americas. It is more in stark relief today than ever. The Cubans and the Hispanics in my very large, populous Florida city, they hate the corruption of South America. They hate the authoritarianism of South America. They hate the lawlessness of South America. Many of them waited years to come to America legally. Many of them have waited for months and years in order to become legal residents of Florida, legal citizens of the United States. They disgust in the open borders of the Biden administration. They are sickened to their stomachs by the lawlessness at the border, and they view it as a direct threat to their way of life. They love the law and order policies of the Trump administration, and they want migrants to this country to come here legally. They do not want a compliant or corrupt population of criminal illegal aliens to flood into their cities, neighborhoods. These people are not motivated by anything that the left would tell you. They would tell you that it's racist. They're going to tell you that it's inhumane. No. These people understand Better than anyone, what life is like in Venezuela. They lived it. 
Some of them fled to America on rafts during the 1970s. I spoke with a man in a uh, barber shop, the barber shop where I get my hair cut. I spoke with a man who had fled here on a raft in the 1970s from Cuba. There was an emergency policy uh, in the Carter administration that helped them become U.S. citizens. And this man is was sickened, sickened by Joe Biden. He went into a tirade, in broken English, launched into a tirade of Joe Biden and how his administration is similar in every likeness to the Castro administration and exactly how they're seeing America go the way of communist Cuba. It was very scary, and it all had to do with lawlessness, the lack of enforcement of the law. There is a ruling right now on the books from a judge in Texas stating that the Remain in Mexico policy must be reinstated. Is the Joe Biden administration and regime following that ruling? Of course not. Did the Joe Biden regime follow the court's rulings on the prohibition of renters to be expelled from their homes, the eviction prohibition? Of course not. They attempted to wholesale take over the housing market. With the stroke of the pen, executive fiat, these people, these Hispanics that live in my neighborhood, the Hispanics that are my neighbors, they've seen this all before. They've seen a country that no longer is bound by constitution or rule of law. It is bound entirely and only and singularly by power and the corrupt individuals who wish to attain power and wield power over you. That is why they are against Biden. That is why they are voting for Trump. It is this trend that have Democrats so worried among Hispanics. Hispanics showed up in mass to support Larry Elder in his recall efforts in California. Hispanics showed up in mass to vote for President Trump. And Hispanics are cratering Joe Biden's approval numbers in massive states like Texas. Steve Cortez, a Trump advisor on the campaign, and someone with Hispanic heritage himself said this on Twitter, Hispanics in Texas give a huge thumbs down to Biden's border policies. 26 to 66 approve, disapprove, meaning 66% disapprove in the latest Quinnipiac poll. Latinos are not soft on the border and we believe in law and order. Remarkable to 26% approval of Hispanics on Joe Biden's handling of the border situation on the Mexican border. This is catastrophic. You know, it's catastrophic for Democrats. It's hard to think of a way that Democrats are winning in any sense right now across the country. It's hard to find a place where they are winning their legislative agenda and their policy agenda on the Hill is just collapsing, as is the edifice of their ability to govern and their ability to lead. It is collapsing in real time as we watch the Pentagon leaders who have led us into absolute abysmal territory in our American military. It's difficult to think of a time when the American military is more depressed, has been more humiliated around the world, has been more beleaguered. It may never recover. The American good faith and trust and standing of our military has been eviscerated. These people have done what Soviet Russia and what our geopolitical and communist enemies could never 
dream of accomplishing against a massive, mighty nuclear power. They have absolutely impugned the standing of the American military and the good faith in our military abroad. They've demoralized our troops, and now they are purging our troops, indeed, with unconstitutional mandates. The entire disaster of our current American military leadership and establishment was on full display in front of the Senate Armed Services yesterday. Let's go ahead and read this article, and I will play you some devastating clips we have rounded up. It was hard, honestly, to do this segment because there were so many clips from both sides of the aisle. This is a bipartisan issue. You can see that both sides were furious at our military leadership, maybe not for the exact same reasons, but it was truly a remarkable grilling human predator drones, these senators going around and blasting away at our military establishment. And what do they do? They've never won a war because they are just political creatures. They do not wish to win wars. They wish to win domestic battles politically. They wish to pin more shiny brass on their chests and not to actually do the business of governing a military and making it a lethal force to protect American interests abroad. They merely wish to protect their own interests domestically and politically and advance their own careers. Is what happens when you have these corrupt generals. They just do not do the business of leading or winning. It's what pissed off President Trump so much about our military, and it's what's pissing off Americans. Americans do not like to lose. We detest losing, Uh, but the only people who were losing on Capitol Hill yesterday were Mark Miley, Joint Chiefs of Staff, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, and Head of U.S. Central Command Kenneth McKenzie. They were losing bad. They knew they were going to lose bad, and so what did they do? They deflected. They've done what they've done their entire careers. They deflected on the old, beleaguered, dementia-riddled man in the White House. That's right. They said that he was the problem, and they coordinated these efforts. There has been a coordinated leak effort to hurt Joe Biden from our military and intelligence establishments, and there is now a coordinated open smear campaign against Joe Biden as president. We think that Joe Biden deserves every bit of this, but we certainly do not side with our corrupt military establishment here who were on every level complicit with the Biden administration's evisceration of our military's good standing. So let's jump into clips here. What do we have? General McKinsey and General Miley both admit that they told Biden to keep 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. Enough troops, by the way, to operationalize the Afghanistan security forces. See, America has been on a skeleton crew of military officials for decades now in Afghanistan. We haven't had a large, robust fighting force there since the surge. All the American troops were there to do is to operationalize, technologically, the Afghan military defense forces. These defense forces were active and were operational based on our help, uh, based on our over-the-horizon capacities, based on American air power and superiority, and based on American intelligence. That's how the Afghan security forces stood up. It's how they fought. It's how they were built. And so when you pull out every troop and every resource, when you abandon Bagram Air Force Base, you essentially kneecap, you gut 
the capacity for the Afghan security forces to do anything but sit there, stand there, and be sitting ducks. And that's exactly what they did. They handed their weapons over to the Taliban. They surrendered their bases, and they didn't put up a fight at all. McKinsey and Miley clearly knew this, and that is why they testified thusly. But I will give you my honest opinion, and my honest opinion and view shaped my recommendation. I recommended that we maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. And I also recommended earlier in the fall of 2020 that we maintain 4,500 at that time. Those are my personal views. I also have a view that the withdrawal of those forces would lead inevitably to the collapse of the Afghan military forces and eventually the Afghan government. Yes, I understand that. And uh, General Milley, I assume you agree with that in terms of the recommendation of 2,500? What I said in my opening statement and the memoranda that I wrote back in the fall of 2020 remained consistent, and I do agree with that. Of course, you run into a major situation here that is problematic, let's just say, for the Biden administration, because Joe Biden said that none of his military advisors ever told him to keep troops on the ground. None of his military advisors ever told him to keep Bagram Air Force Base open. This is, of course, in direct conflict to the testimony you just heard there from Miley and McKinsey. Listen to this. Your top military advisors warned against withdrawing on this timeline. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That, that, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. They didn't tell you that they wanted troops to stay? No, not, at, not in terms of whether we were going to get out in a time frame all troops. They didn't argue against that. So no one, no one told your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. Cabal. I mean, you listen to that interview. This entire cabal just needs to burn. You hear there Joe Biden saying that he just can't even remember. I mean, maybe that's true. Joe Biden doesn't remember anything. Joe Biden doesn't remember the name of his own children. Joe Biden doesn't wish to remember Hunter Biden, I'm sure. But we don't have a situation where Joe Biden can even remember what he had for breakfast. And so what are you going to do there? You don't even know if he's telling the truth or not. What you do know is that the people who were advising the old Alzheimer's riddled nursing home patient doddering around the White House in his bathrobe, well, those guys did nothing to stop the disaster that happened in Afghanistan. Many of these men were part of the negotiation process with Donald Trump and the Taliban. Democrats tried to blame the Taliban uh, and Donald Trump on the disaster, and Mark Miley actually defended Trump, weirdly, uh, saying that it was truly the Taliban's fault for not fully honoring the agreement. Here's that weird clip of General Miley defending the man who he unconstitutionally went around the back of and usurped control over our nuclear arsenal uh, and leaked to the communist Chinese traitorously. Uh, now General Miley is back to defending Trump. These people, they're just, they all deserve each other. They're such rats. They're such rats on the same sinking ship. Listen. The Taliban did not attack U.S. forces, which was one of the conditions. It failed to fully honor any, any other condition under the Doha Agreement. And perhaps most importantly for U.S. national security, the Taliban has never renounced al-Qaeda or broke its affiliation with them. We, the United States, adhered to every condition. So now we come into the bruising part of the testimony, and the testimony again is ongoing again today. We'll have more highlights for you tomorrow. 
these uh, these jokers are back up on Capitol Hill getting again bludgeoned. But we have a situation here where a bipartisan group of senators just savage the generals and the secretary of defense. And it's just not pretty, guys. They get calls for resignations. You have Josh Hawley demanding their resignations. You have Tom Cotton demanding their resignations. You have Joe Manchin demanding resignations, saying that it drives him absolutely insane to see the Taliban with U.S. military equipment. It is just a parade, a cavalry of brutal, brutal attacks, a beating, and indeed there is still there is still public discipline in this country. There are still public whippings in this country. They're not happening at the border. They're happening here in the halls of Congress in these types of committees in the Armed Services Committee yesterday. Listen. I just want to I just want to say this. It seems to me that you put a high priority on making sure that you were favorably portrayed by the D.C. press corps. You spent a lot of time doing that. Fair enough if that's your priority. But at the same time, we had a rapidly deteriorating, frankly, disastrous situation in Afghanistan, which resulted in the death of 13 soldiers, including one from my home state, hundreds of civilians and hundreds of Americans left behind. And in my view, that mission can't be called a success in any way, shape, or form, logistical or otherwise. General, I think you should resign. Secretary Austin, I think you should resign. I think this mission was a catastrophe. I think there's no other way to say it, and there has to be accountability. I respectfully submit it should begin with you. Yeah, one final question. General Milley, I can only conclude that your advice about staying in Afghanistan was rejected. I'm shocked to learn that your advice wasn't sought until August 25th on staying past the August 31 deadline. I, I understand that you're the principal military advisor, that you advise, you don't decide, the president decides. But if all this is true, General Milley, why haven't you resigned? Senator, as a senior military officer, um, resigning is a really serious thing. It's a political act if I'm resigning in protest. It drives me absolutely insane to see the television at night and see the Taliban and all of them wearing our uniforms, wearing our night vision, doing everything, using everything we have, our MRAPs and everything else that we left there. I just can't believe it. I can't even get an accounting of how much equipment we really did leave. I know how many aircraft we left, and I know how many, uh, basically, uh, MRAPs and, and all the different things. But not to plan better to take that equipment out it was unbelievable. Why haven't you resigned? Why haven't you resigned? Why haven't you resigned? Yeah. That is a tough question to hear, truly, if you are a uh, highest-ranking member of our military and you have fellow members of the military, Tom Cotton, a veteran himself, served his nation honorably, demanding your resignation. Multiple senators, bipartisan senators, just roasting you. It's not a pretty day for our military establishment. And you know what? Good. I mean, frankly, good. It's hard to see as a patriotic American and as someone who has military members in my family. I come from a long military background in my family. Both my grandfathers fought in World War II, and I'm sure yours did as well. It's very difficult to see American, the American military humbled on the international stage. It's very painstaking to see the living pain that these Afghan veterans live with every single day. Multiple members of my family fought in the global war on terror, fought in Afghanistan. Their scars are real. Their scars will be carried with them forever. And it's very painful 
none of these people will be held accountable. It's so sad. None of these people will be held accountable. They deserve to have their medals ripped off their chests. They deserve to be court-martialed. These men deserve to be dressed down before the very nation. But none of it will happen. This is what happens when your institutions are irredeemably corrupt. When your institutions have lost the plot and have missed what it is that they were designed to do to win wars and to protect our men and women, 13 American heroes now dead because of their actions, hundreds of thousands of Afghans now live, millions of Afghans now live in daily constant terror. You can see the murderous images out of that country the slaughter, the wholesale slaughter that is happening, and happening at the hands of these leaders as well. They're the ones who launched a drone strike that killed children in Afghanistan. Little kids waiting for their dad to come home with fresh water for them to drink. And what happened? They weren't met with a cup of tasty water. They were met with the Hellfire missile from a Predator drone to their faces, ripping their skin off and murdering them. These are the men who did that. They do not deserve to ever wear an American military uniform. They have disgraced themselves past the point of any recognition further in our society and in our culture. We do not honor them. We do not respect them. They are traitors to this country. They acted traitorously, and they have disgraced the uniforms that they wear. Please, please hasten the day where we can have a Republican Congress investigate them fully and where we can have a Republican president fire their asses because that is what needs to be done. There needs to be a full house cleaning. There needs to be a full table resetting. The table's got to get flipped here. This is so much, so much corruption. This is too much, too much corruption inside of our military establishment. The fact that nobody no one has been held accountable, is truly an embarrassment. Well, truly an embarrassment and true corruption on a scale never before seen, the $3.5 trillion bill to tilt the elections. That's right. Hidden inside of the Democrats, $3.5 trillion bill is so many poison pills. And now we are starting to look at the bill itself now that the bill has been released you're starting to see exactly what's inside of it. Remember, you have to pass the bill to see what's inside of it. Nancy Pelosi famously said back a decade ago when she was trying to shove through Obamacare, and now she's trying to shove through another pile of trash legislation, legislation that is going to harm this country forever. They can't get what they want legislatively, so they sneak it into massive bills like this. Any Republican who votes for this bill is a traitor to their country. Don't you dare Don't you dare call your representative's office if they haven't announced how they're going to vote and get on the horn. This is truly the most egregiously written poison pill trying to be shoved down the throat of Congress that I have ever seen. Now that you're starting to see what's inside of it, it is truly terrifying. Reading to you from the New York Post. Billions hidden in the $3.5 trillion bill to tilt election scale. That's right. The Democrats can't get 
their federal election takeover bills passed through Congress. They are even too partisan for Democrats. The John Lewis Voting Rights Bill, the H.R. 1, these would utterly decimate our Constitution. I mean, they're unconstitutional. They would potentially lose at the Supreme Court level, but they've just abandoned them now. These bills are essentially designed to ensure that we never have a legal or fair election in this country ever again. We did a long segment on mail-in voting earlier in the week and exactly how disastrous that is for this nation, exactly how that essentially institutionalizes fraud and makes your vote worth less than the paper that it's printed on. Well, Democrats are trying to do an end around because they can't get what they want. They will try to sneak it in one way or another. This is how they're going to try and do it. The Democrats' $3.5 trillion social engineering bill pushed by President Biden and Nancy Pelosi is called Build Back Better. It should be called Build Back Political Scam. Buried in the 2,465 pages are numerous billion-dollar, billion with a B, billion-dollar grants to unnamed community organizations for vague purposes like promoting community engagement and providing support and advice and creating equitable and civic infrastructure. Creating equitable civic infrastructure. What does that mean? Equitable civic infrastructure. Did AOC write this? Translation, your taxpayer dollars will fund the payrolls of left-wing advocacy groups between elections. In return, they become the campaign arm, staffing, phone banking, harvesting ballots, and escorting people to the polls on election day. That's right. The Build Back Better bill is pouring tens of billions of dollars, an unprecedented amount, into community organizations. That's because congressional Democrats failed to ram through two bills, H.R. 1 and H.R. 4, that would change election rules forever. That would favor Democrats forever. Build Back Better is the party's best shot at gaining the electoral advantage. It's all about power for these people. How many times do we have to say it? They do not like democracy. They hate democracy. They hate that you have the capacity to throw them out. They want to change systems so that they are forever favored. This is the act of the authoritarian. This is what always happens in every regime and it's happening here in America. The bill not only bankrolls nonprofit community organizations and enhances their clout by allowing them to hand out billions of dollars in seed money to local business startups. Oh, that's interesting. In a new twist, the Small Business Administration is debuting, sorry, distributing huge sums uh, to nonprofits that will serve as incubators. Oh, yes, this is this is great. Dispersing funds to startup businesses in undes underserved areas. Curiously, the SBA already has a regional office across the U.S. to help startups and could distribute the funds itself, but instead it is empowering nonprofits to be the middlemen. 90% of startups fail. There's no riskier place to put taxpayer money, yet the bill establishes no standards for which businesses get the funding except that they have the to be majority owned by members of unrepresented communities. Oh, okay. Okay. Including residents of high poverty areas and formerly incarcerated. Okay, great. So billions of your dollars are going to startups by the formerly incarcerated. Fantastic. Build back better. One thing they can't have is a track record. If they've been in business for five years, they're ineligible. Remarkable. So you can't you can't fund businesses that are actually successful, that actually make money. We couldn't give aid to businesses that have been hammered or destroyed by the uh, by by the tyrannical 
COVID policies that wrecked our economy, that took a sledgehammer to the face of our economy. No. No, no, no. Just businesses that are brand new and that are run by underrepresented communities. What does that mean? What does that mean? I'm 35. In my neighborhood, I am young. So I'm an underrepresented community. Can I get billions? I'm underrepresented in my neighborhood. What does that mean? Can I get it? Can I get it? I have a single child who's under, uh, you know, who's 14 months. That means I'm underrepresented. Most of the people in my neighborhood do not have children that young. Does that mean I am eligible? Can I get the billions? In all, nonprofits are eligible for as much as $90 billion to support their own activities. Just remarkable. Just the amount of money. Our currency is going to be worthless. Our currency is going to be worthless in this country. The amount of money that they are trying to spend here. But Democrats aren't buying it. I mean, I tell you, this entire thing is sounds like it's written by Barack Obama. Barack Obama was made fun of for being a community organizer. He was, uh, it was often a attack on Barack Obama that he didn't have any real-world experience. He just was a community organizer. Well, guess who's having the last laugh now? Barack Obama. This bill is entirely an Obama-centric bill. This is exactly what Obama would write. And amazingly, Nancy Pelosi just straight up gave up the ghost and said exactly that, calling the Biden administration the Obama agenda. Keep government open. We intend, we have to do those imminently, uh, more imminently even, uh, to address the full Obama agenda of building back better with, and I love to say, building back better. Yeah, so Pelosi just said it. You've been wondering who's pulling the strings behind the Biden administration. Pelosi just said this is the third term of Barack Obama. Now, Pelosi is 80 years old. She can barely speak. She can barely talk. That's Nancy Pelosi. She can barely speak through her dentures. She can barely move. You see her. She's frail. She's twisted. She's withered. This is what a life in the political swamp does to you. It sludges. It slimes your entire body. You start moving around like a reptilian. That is exactly how Pelosi moves. But nonetheless, she can at least speak freely. She's earned that right, and she can speak honestly even in these salient moments. And she said it. She said Barack Obama is in charge of the agenda. Barack Obama said as much, actually, in an interview. We pulled that clip. Go ahead and listen. What you know now, do you wish like you had a, sec- a, a third term? Um, and I, I used to say... You know what, if, if I could make an arrangement where um, I had, a, I had a, a stand-in, a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats mm-hmm. looking through the stuff, and then I could sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony, wow. I, I'd be fine with that. Well, there you have it. Barack Obama. The dream would be to not have to govern and to be able to just do everything by fiat. And there you have it. Obama saying it, Pelosi confirming it. And if you wonder why their agenda is just doling out money to left-wing groups and community organizing groups, if you're wondering why this bill is the return of the Obama-level Spending bills, you remember these during the Obama administration. You remember the Affordable Care Act. Uh, 
It looked just like this. You can see Republican senators holding up bills that are the size of the Affordable Care Act. You haven't seen bills like these in Congress for years. And that's because when Barack Obama was president, this was the norm. Listen to Senator Barrasso holding up a gigantic bill uh, that looks like it's going to break his arms and saying exactly that. This is their bill. 2,500 pages. If you take a look at $3.5 trillion price tag and you do the math, that's $1,400,000,000 for every page of this bill. And they want to pass it this week. How many Democrats do you think have read this? Think Nancy Pelosi's read it? Think Chuck Schumer's read it? Do you think Joe Biden, who is desperately begging Democrats to pass it, do you think he's read it? Do you think he knows what's in it? Guys, it's the return of Obama. It's the return of Obama. That's exactly what this is. This is the return of Obama. It's why everyone was clamoring to go to Obama's maskless 60th birthday party. They know who the real president is. They know who the real president is. The real president is Barack Obama governing this country from Martha's freaking vineyard. This is the third term, the Barack Obama third term, and the plan is then to hand it off to Kamala Harris if she can keep it uh, after Biden bows out. That's the plan. That's what everyone's talking about. They're just trying to shove this man past the midterms. But the person really pulling the strings is Barack Obama. And, and you may remember that Barack Obama has a penchant for destroying his own party, for using his own personal agenda in order to bankrupt and collapse his party. It's precisely what happened in the Obama years, and this is precisely what's happening now. Pelosi is facing massive headwinds from her own party, massive pushback on this bill. It is very unpopular. They're starting to feel the pressure. Moderate Democrats are starting to feel the pressure. Democrats don't want to raise the debt limit. Why would you need to raise a debt limit on a bill that costs zero dollars? That's what they all say. They say this costs zero dollars, so why are you having to raise a debt limit? No, no, they're starting to see the breaking point. They're starting to see the fracture. The American dollar is inflating at an alarming rate. People's lives are getting more expensive. People are not entering the workforce. People can't find employees. And now the Democrats want to spend a slush fund trillion, 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 0.5, three trillions, that's right, three trillion dollar bill in order to fund left-wing organizations and left-wing organizers who will try and rig elections for them. That's what's in this bill. Wow. It really does sound like Barack Obama back all over again. And maybe Democrats won't be stupid enough this time to take that poison pill because it lost seats for Democrats. Over 1,000 Democrats lost their seats. 1,000 Democrats nationwide lost their seats two Republicans in the Obama years, uh, according to Fox News. And uh, it looks like they're going to repeat history on that one. It looks like they're going back. So Pelosi is feeling the headwinds. Pelosi is now snapping on Capitol Hill reporters who are asking her about this and about her their or their failures, essentially, to wrangle in their razor-thin minority, the razor-thin majorities. They are like four votes away from a minority in the House. They're one vote away in the Senate. These people. This is the type of government that should lead very cautiously and very much like a centrist government. 
but of course they can't help themselves. They're being run by Barack Obama, and he doesn't care. It's not his name on the ballot. It's not him in front of the cameras. Hell, he can do whatever he wants from Martha's Vineyard. Pelosi is starting to feel the pressure, and she's snapping. Listen to this. Why get mad at members? Why twist the arms of moderates if, if, if this is not going to move anywhere? What are you talking about? We have a responsibility to uphold, to lift up the full faith and credit of the United States of America. That's what we have to do. These members have all voted for this last week. So if they're concerned about